Blood Moon. This is the Limbaugh. It's a very gothy and, and freaky episode that we're having today. It's this 22nd episode, but I imagine it has something to do with the devil. This, of course, is a podcast about the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Those who received it, those who should receive it, and probably a couple who shouldn't and should be banished to hell on the Blood Moon. My name is Clay Russell. I'm Christine Sear. And I'm Brian Tuft. And when it comes to being goth, I think I'm like Kourtney Kardashian, where like I just really like true romance and I would only do it for a man. <laughs> Fair. Like you're into the look, you're not into the vibe is what you're saying, bro. Yeah, it's all about the aesthetic for me. Sure. Okay. I respect that. I respect that. So, a uh, very dark week. A bunch of bad stuff happened. Coming up next, Christine has a profile on Roger <laughs> Penske. Wow, your dog does not like that. <laughs> no, my dog is excited. The wine is here. <laughs> oh, look at this. Brian is showing off his liquor delivery. He got an Aperol Spritz, everybody. Aperol yeah, Spritz. Pretty or, good. Sorry, he got the Aperol with which... To make an Aperol spritz. What, do you, what else do you have Aperol with besides its namesake? Since we have time, apparently. Yes, there oh. most certainly is. It is going to be 11% alcohol by volume. And some people, like old Italian people, before it got rebranded in about 2015 as like the drink of the summer, would just drink it straight over ice. It's almost like a vermouth. <laughs> Did you okay. just have it delivered and immediately <laughs> open it up? I've been waiting for it. I ca- I went to my regular guy and he didn't have it. He was like, oh. I'll have it on Wednesday. And I was like, well, I want to have it today. <laughs> so <laughs> emergency delivery from Mr. Vino. Love it. I don't know where it, he actually is located. I've never been to the physical shop. He just Wait, sometimes Mr. Vino comes is in my neighborhood. Isn't that is... the one? Yeah. yeah. That's when you get off the subway, right? That's what yeah. I was about to ask. Oh, well, the guy who delivered it looked like he was in Daft Punk. That's why Tybalt was so scared, because he was wearing this very elaborate helmet on for his nice. Vespa. Um, speaking of Italian culture. Was was the helmet down or helmet up? It was down until I opened the door, and then he lifted it up, and he had these, you know, very handsome brown eyes. But very European. I, I didn't have wow. time to chit-chat chit him up, because I had to come back, because I'm a professional. <laughs> I wanted to be on mic for this. I love how he slurred professional. <laughs> professional. Good thing I'm going to do most of the talking today. Yeah. All Blood Moon vibes today. All right. So yeah, dark week. I feel like uh, last week was a dark episode, so we don't have to do that. Instead, I would like to talk about an article that I saw a couple of weeks ago, but we preempted it for aforementioned dark stuff. It's about a little show called MTV Cribs. Oh, the... such a good show. Right. And what is the most iconic episode of Cribs to you? Mariah Carey. Mariah Carey. Yes. And <laughs> in the video I'm about to talk about, the, uh, I guess, website, Weird History, video channel, whatever we want to deem them as, did a history of Cribs and brought up the fact that besides Mariah Carey, everyone else was faking it in terms of what they were showing as their Cribs. And Shocking. Yeah, I just wanted to talk about just how f***ed up the late 90s, early 2000s were. I know that this stuff is still out there, but I do feel like it trained an entire generation of people to almost fake their wealth. And this directly ties into the 
the foreclosure crisis that we had in the mid-2000s, of just a lot of people completely trying to lie to each other about how much they were earning. And I think that it directly tied into inequality as well, where it was almost this moray of you don't talk about how much you earn, you just pretend that you have a lot of money. I I just thought that even though that this is a funny video and we'll post it in the show notes, I just thought it was really f***ed up that this is, and I think it's a distinctly American thing as well. Tell me, guys, if you disagree, but I do feel like this is something that maybe is still going on a little bit more today of just none of us necessarily discussing inequality and how much everyone is making and things like that. Instead, just trying to fake this entire image and we're just kind of refusing to talk about it. Yeah. I mean, I watched, I was the target demo for all of the MTV's programming um, in the nineties and early two thousands. And in a way like that was a precursor to the Instagram (laughs) scamming that's going on now where it's either making an experience seem different than it is. Like I've seen sort of behind the scenes videos of, the hour long line where people are waiting to take the one photo in like Bali or whatever on a swing, you know, and it's creating this like fake experience where it's just you and then, and nature. And it's like, no, everyone goes there. Everyone waits on this line. Everybody photoshops, but also on a similar note, like I haven't some celebrities gotten caught essentially doing what their predecessors did on cribs. Like, Yes. I think you're speaking most famously of Bow Wow, who posted a photo yes! on Instagram of him getting on a private plane. And while he was in the air, somebody who followed him on Instagram saw him on their commercial flight, bought the GoGo wireless Wi-Fi on the plane and exposed him so that when he landed and rejoined his network, he had to deal with a flurry of news items and comments and tweets calling him out for being broke when he was sitting in first class on a commercial flight, which is hardly something that a broke person would do. Exactly. And it's like, it's not enough to be flying first class. You have to pretend that you're on the, and I'm sure it's just like that person was particularly ballsy to like call him out, but I'm sure it happens all the time. But I agree with you. I think if anything, Cribs is almost adorable now. Like when you think about, oh, Nellie lied to us and showed us a rental house or you know, essentially an Airbnb or mm-hmm. his manager's house. Like that's fine. He's a celebrity. He's allowed to lie to us. It's in the contract. But ne- like, um, I see that video, uh, this video, a few times, or, like where it's different people doing it. Where like they go to the experience, but they go to like call it out. And apparently, in Los Angeles, there is a essentially like a storage shed that you can go to, and it's done up like the interior of a private plane. And you can rent it for like sixty or seventy five dollars an hour, and you can take as many photos of you, of you in different Jesus outfits Christ. in a private plane setting. And then, like anytime you travel, you just post a photo of you in one of these outfits in the private plane. And it's, I mean, probably the size of a garden shed. I, I have a private plane is not very large. And then you walk out, and essentially you're just in safety storage or some shit like that in Los Angeles. And it's gone from being like, um, oh, we had a breakout to like being an endemic where now every person who has more than like a thousand followers on a social media platform needs to pretend that they are rich well beyond their means. To me, it's just gross. It's what has made people want to become 
like social media influencers is they think that it's just like, oh, I get that. And then immediately I'm, I'm flying private. And that's, it's not the case. And, you know, yeah. looking back at what we know now, it's easy to realize like, well, of course, some of these episodes of MTV Cribs were fake. You know, they were living like billionaires. And yeah, he had country grammar and hot in here and people were still buying CDs for $20 a pop. But, you know, was he <laughs> able to buy, you know, a house that Jeff Bezos would buy off of that money? To me, I don't think there's yeah. anything wrong with the lifestyle of right? a millionaire. Like their place, his actual, these people's actual houses were probably so really nice. And by the way, we can't talk about this without talking about Redman, who had the balls to show his real apartment on Staten Island and like the whatever chicken nuggets in his freezer. And he was just like, whatever, guys, this is where I, this is where I crash when I'm not traveling. So I feel like a medal of the, the century goes to Redman for doing that. And that was like the early 2000s. So he had that and the Christina Aguilera dirty feature. So, I mean, just like on fire. And he lived in like a one bedroom and he was just like, this is, this is it. But now instead of MTV Cribs, we have the AD open door tour, which I'm obsessed with because whenever it's a random celebrity who like, you really don't want to see the house for, it's like, oh, here's James Vanderbeek's beautiful home in Newport. It's like, oh, he's with his like 64 He's going to sell it. It's going on the market. This is, <laughs> this is marketing for the, for the upcoming sale of the James Vanderbeek Newport property. I know I've spoken about her a lot. Um, but there's two iconic AD tours. One of them is Dakota Johnson, where she walks into the kitchen and it's been like prop styled by her decorator. And she goes, oh, I just love limes. And then like at some point she gives up the gag and she goes, I actually hate limes. I never <laughs> eat them. This is not how I live. And then Kirsten Dunst hired an interior designer to do her whole house. And then when they did the AD tour, she was like, oh, she has to be with me because she needs to explain to you like where that was sourced, why this is important. I know that I liked it, but she knows the reason behind it. And uh, to me, when, you know, I see my other blonde Oscar nominated queen, Gwyneth Paltrow walk through a house and she's like, oh, well, you know, we, we went to this quarry for this marble. I'm like, Girl, you're so busy, like, running goop and raising apple. Like, how did you know what quarry to go to? Like, tell us the behind the scenes. Like, tell us, like, oh, I work with this incredible person. <laughs> I hired mm-hmm. Rowan and Williams to do this house. Like, don't lie to me and be like, oh, yeah, Brad and I drove out to the quarry and we picked this marble. Like, <laughs> no, that's not what happened. Brian knows so much about this stuff. I'm kind of terrified. I did see on the famous Mariah Carey Cribs episode that she had two bits of trolling, which is one, she walked into her bathroom and claimed that she used it only once. And then the other is her looking into the camera and saying that she trained her goldfish to only uh, be awake when she was awake. God bless you, Mariah Carey. God Mariah bless you. Carey is an Aries. She is an icon. She has normalized the concept of not believing in time. If anyone could train a goldfish to adapt to the schedule of its owner, it would, it's going to be Mariah Carey. True. Very true. Is it because we have celebrities that just aren't equipped enough to talk about actual issues today? Is that what this is? So I would say yes, but I actually think that we've turned a page and we're starting to get a little bit more transparency. And I think it's a little bit of a reaction to the idea that celebrities are just constantly 
per, you know, forced to be like perfect in every single way. Like I think about like the difference between Meryl Streep's 1981 Oscar red carpet look and her, what was it? 2011 for the iron lady red carpet look. And like, you think about like how just celebrities have just been pushed to this point of perfection. And 2011 is an interesting, uh, Meryl Streep year because she beat Viola Davis and she recently posted, uh, Viola Davis recently published a memoir and I am still working my way through it, but there is a part in the memoir where she talks about, even though she's a working actress, she, or actor, uh, she has worked steadily and she wants to do a play in New York, but she can't because she had to sell her apartment in New York because she couldn't get a sublet because the apartment was prone to renting. So she had to take a loss on the apartment and she has to say no to a Broadway show. And she says, I know you're thinking you made $5,200 an episode on blah, blah, blah before she got had away, had to get away with murder. And like it did become who she was. This is like the early 2000s, you know, maybe a little bit after doubt. And she speaks about I'm working, I'm famous, people want my autograph and I'm broke. And it was very much um, like that iconic episode of Behind the Music where Left Eye Lopez from TLC is like, I'm going to do the math for you. And she like explains to you how every time she sells a CD, most of the money goes to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And I loved that because she essentially explains like the reason why I was nominated for two Oscars and then was in Suicide Squad is because I needed the money. And uh, I, as a dark-skinned black woman working in Hollywood, am not given enough opportunity where I can say, sorry, I don't want to be in a movie with Jared Leto. Nothing, mm-hmm. nothing personal. But she kind of reveals, yeah, she is on TV. She has a, a beauty contract, but she's still not you know, as rich as you would think she is. And, you know, she's not putting on a superhero cape and, and is headlining movie posters. Right. No. And to me, it was very, it was very comforting because I found she does a lot of speaking tours where she charges like a hundred thousand dollars a pop to like go to, you know, some real estate companies conference and give a speech. And I couldn't figure out why she was doing it. And then she, I read this part of the memoir and I was like, Oh, this is where you make the money to like pay for, you know, you being Viola Davis because or in a the play movies or and the right. TVs and, you know, like you want to, you know, be in fences on Broadway. That's how you're affording yourself that right. Now that you have mm-hmm. hit that level. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want more, cele- I want more celebrities to tell us, I want to know you're living in a rental, you are circling a big bang theory reboot because you know, the mortgage on your house is crazy. Like I want to know, <laughs> give Brian the, uh, the balance sheets and let him. Oh do yes. The rest. I want to see, I want to see Neil Patrick Harris's bank book. That's what I want. <laughs> I think that this does go back to, especially when you watch the Woodstock 99 documentary of just how f***ed up things were in the late 90s, early 2000s with a lot of things. So uh, maybe we are beating up this one particular era, but I think that it still does bleed over a little bit. And you're right, Christine, in the Instagram era that people are almost afraid to talk about how much they're actually earning and like how that affects everyday Americans' lives. Good. I'm glad that we managed to get through all this without talking about all the other stuff that we talked about last week. So this is good. When we come back, Christine does a profile on Uh Trump era Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient Roger Penske. Stick around.
guys. So yeah, blessedly the Trump era um, recipients is short because I guess he was certain he was going to have a second term and he did not. Who would he have picked if he would have had that second term? Like David Duke, Tucker Carlson. It's like a bunch of dead people. It's athletes. And it's like a couple died in the wool, like Republican legends and stuff. And so Roger Penske stood out to me because, okay, I just want to just like blanket disclaimer for this entire rundown here to to any of our listeners who are racing fans. I I don't actually know a lot about racing. Racing, not racist for people listening at home. Racing fans, car racing, vroom, vroom, in a circle. I think they consider themselves athletes, but to me it was just, like, interesting because it was, like, he's not exactly an athlete. Like, he's more of just a business fan, and I'll get to his Republican connections, but, like, you know, he's not... I, I was, like, I've... Once I looked him up, I was, like, okay, I know who this is, but I didn't immediately know who he was, and so I thought he'd be an interesting one to to profile. So Roger Penske was born in 1937, on February 20th in Shaker Heights, Ohio. He's still alive, currently 85 years old, and he's a car guy. So I thought, like, let's let's learn about this car guy. So growing up, his father worked at a metal fabrication company, and then as a hobby, he grew up repairing and rehabbing old cars in order to sell them. And that doesn't sound, like, that noteworthy, but this is really cool when you consider his teenage years were, like, in the early 1950s, so old cars were like, like twenties and thirties car, <laughs> like Studebakers. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It was probably some pretty cool stuff. So that was how early his interest in cars kind of started. He went to Lehigh University, not too shabby. And then after college, he kind of just like started racing cars. I'm not really sure the ins and outs of how you like build a car racing career, but I imagine in the 1950s, it was a pretty new pastime. And if you were willing to go like zip around a track, you could, you could be a race car driver. By 1960, he was a star. In 1960, he was the Sports Illustrated SCCA Driver of the Year. And he just, yeah, he was a a race car driving star for almost 10 years. He retired in 1965 so get this, to run a Chrysler dealership, which might sound weird, but if any of you have watched Ford versus Ferrari, that's exactly what Carol Shelby, as portrayed by Matt Damon, did with his time. And I think it makes perfect sense because it's like if you're already a car celebrity, like that's free marketing, right? You want to come buy a car from the guy that makes the cars go vroom, vroom. <laughs> Am I right? I famously don't have a license. So. <laughs> right. Brian is a true <laughs> child of New York City and... <laughs> Can't even drive. I do feel like um, this is like you're talking to two of the dumbest car people alive. I thought, but you're movie guys. When you were guys. like, oh, they was doing cars in 1950s. I was like, a Model T, yeah, I don't right? know. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's a Mazda Miata, right? 1950s. Okay, the 50s is like... I mean, that was when a car was still like metal. Like you, yes. could, you could hit a woman and kill her like in The Great Gatsby. Now you hit her and like you dent your car and she's just inconvenienced. Yeah. Yeah. And you will also probably get sued. And that was another thing is I don't think it was until the 1970s that car companies started being held liable for what happened with their vehicles. So it was just like, well, it's an accident. You know, accidents happen, guys. Anyway. 
the Supreme Court is actually working to overturn that right now. Oh, great. They're trying to undo everything that we got in the 70s. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> All right, so yeah, so he's got the car dealership, but he has other plans beyond that. So a year after his retirement from racing, he started up his first racing team. And my, again, guys, my understanding of a racing team is like you gather all of the experts, right? You have the guy behind the wheel, you've got the mechanic. So from his experience with racing and knowing a lot about cars, he started his own team. And like by law, you have to have an old farmhand named Rusty, right? Correct. Okay. And he's always got grease on him for some reason. Uh-huh. Even when it's in- a formal dinner, Rusty's got the gar grease on him. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So he ran his first racing team in the 24 hours of Daytona, which, as suggested by the name, is a 24-hour car race in Daytona, Florida. <laughs> which also invented speed and barbiturates. So, you know. We owe them a lot. We owe them a lot. <laughs> right. In terms of things I've heard of, uh, his team ran the Indy 500 for the first time in 1969. Nice. And across all races, <laughs> so I guess there's many, right? There's lots of different, all over the world even. They do this in <laughs> France, as I understand it. Also, Oh, when you said there's a lot of different races around the world, I thought you meant like it's a small world. You know, like there's like little Dutch children, like that kind of racing. But I guess you're on a different plane. I can't wait until Christine just loses her shit talking to two of us about cars. We're almost done. We're getting into like the analysis. I just, her eye is twitching. Is that how those race cars are able to be so small? It's because they fit little Dutch children in them. Yes, that's exactly how nobody can see me like pressing into my temples. Okay. So his uh, racing team, which was called, like, Penske Racing, they've done races all over the world, and they've won over 500 races. He has a tremendous number of honors from the racing field, mostly as an owner, but if I listed any of them, I don't think you guys would even know what they were. 2019, he was inducted into the NASCAR Hall of Fame, various races such as IndyCar, NASCAR, Daytona 500, Indianapolis 500 have honored him as well for being like the guy. Also worth noting, he's currently worth $2.9 billion, according to Forbes. So, okay, so that's kind of like it, right? Like he fixed up cars as a teen, went to a normal, actually pretty sweet college. Lehigh's like not too shabby. Raced cars himself, retired from that, and started running a racing team, which he's still doing to this day. And he's just like car guy. This is what he loves, and he's awesome at it. He was awesome behind the wheel. He's awesome as a you know a manager of a team, all that kind of stuff. So in 2019, he went to the White House to attend the ceremony where he received his medal from President Trump. Um, I still don't get it. Like, how did he I'm land about on? To Trump? tell you, Clay. Okay. You think I was just going to cut? I was just done. That was it. We weren't going to analyze it at all. No. Okay. I'll shut up. No. Well, if you're like my co-host, Clay Russell, wondering why Trump might have favored him, and you're wondering, is he some kind of heavy-hitting Republican schmoozer? The answer is kind of. He donated half a million dollars to Mitt Romney's super PAC in 2012. So I think he, like, was really into Mitt Romney. And then he endorsed Trump's presidential run. But that's pretty much it. So um, he was into Mitt Romney? Yeah. So he was that one person. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and I guess that was enough for the, for Don, you know, for the former guy to be like, you know, he had this general theme of 
athletes in his picks and, and, um, this is an extension of sports. Something I do want to point out is there's an interview with him on Motor Trend that took place in 2017. So it was already during the Trump administration. And he was asked, what's your feeling about the overall business climate, given the actions of the Trump administration? And he gives this incredibly moderate answer. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You know, he's like, well, I'm not like a Wall Street guy. Some of the things like some of his executive orders haven't quite Remember, this is 2017, so I haven't quite like affected his the auto industry yet. But then he also said, I go around the world, and our reputation is somewhat tarnished by our inability to get things done and the MO that Trump has. Politically, I'm straight down the middle. I want to support administrations, whether they're Republican or Democrat. I've never relied on the government to make my business better, and I'm not counting on them to make it worse. That's what keeps me active, blah, blah, blah. And then it kind of moved on. And so really tepid stuff from Roger Penske on Trump. He verbally endorsed him. He's clearly a Republican. And I mean, that's okay. And kind of expected for like a big capitalist businessman who grew up in the 1930s in Ohio. What's interesting to me is like, I think Trump had such a hard time picking recipients, like people who were willing to accept it or that they, that they believed would accept it, that it was just like, this had to be good enough that he was a Republican and he at least like endorsed Trump. And the other thing I want to say is like, I kind of don't think this was a Limbaugh. When I was researching him, it was an initial promising sign that there was no controversy tab on his, uh, on his Wikipedia, which is always a good sign. But I don't know. It kind of seems like he just put his head down and went after the thing he loved, which was cars. And like a lot of people like, you know, Bill Gates and the tech guys like came of age at the exact moment that, you know, in the case of Bill Gates, computers were becoming a thing for him. Car racing and at least the mass manufacture of cars was sort of and car culture in the United States in the 50s was when it really started taking off. And I mean, in general, I obviously don't know a lot about race car driving. And you can argue, especially with like climate change, etc. you know, is a sport that just burns an insane amount of fuel with guys like driving in a circle. Like, is that the best use of our time and energy? debatable, but you know, it it is sort of a quintessentially American pastime. It's if you count it as a sport, it's the most popular sport in the United States. Um, and he's also considered self-made because I mean, I think he had a perfectly comfortable childhood, but you know, his dad's not like, you know, he's not part of some dynasty or anything. And so I'm like, you know, in the end I was like, I, yeah, fine. Roger Penske, you're, you're not so bad, both like, because he didn't, full-throated throw himself behind Trump. He's never said anything politically scandalous. Like he, I don't know. I I just wonder if it was a, if it was a sign of the straw grasping that Trump and his team had to do to try to assemble like a list of recipients. Because again, don't forget he went like he went to the white house and he received his medal in person. Mm -hmm. Unlike some people who were offered the medal and said no, or people who have refused to go to the white house when, receiving various honors from Trump. So what do you guys think? Yeah, I think we talk a lot about like how, as we have gone, we've, this will be the second time that we've gone through all the presidents who were able to award the medals. We did it. They said it would never happen. Um, (laughs) But um, when I did Nixon, I talked about how weird it was that there's like seven or eight journalists and the journalist, you know, team of, uh, those two guys from the Washington Post that Robert Redford played took him down. And 
to me with Trump, I don't think that there's enough discussion around the fact that essentially he would give the medal to anyone who would show up. And yeah. he really had a hard time. Even people who you would think would be like, okay, well, I'm not political, so I'll come, probably right. said no. And I think that this guy was just aware that he was probably never going to get the option again. And yeah, I guess like if you supported him already for president, then it's not like Oprah took it from Trump and she was like, well, you know, Barack never called. So he did, but like, it's not like somebody who zigged when you expect them to zag and showed up. Like to me, this totally makes sense. I imagine, you know, like it also plays to the Trump base, I also yeah. know that there was a lot of Trump not paying attention to briefings. I wonder if he just heard this guy's really big on race and was like, okay, <laughs> it's him. And or, or Romney said something. You know, Romney might have whispered something in his ear. Yeah, been like, it's not that guy's fault I didn't become president. Right. Yeah, but don't you, didn't he take Romney to dinner at the Westminster House or whatever it's called out in New Jersey? And, I think like, after Trump was elected. And then was like, yeah. you're not getting shit in this uh, administration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm looking at the list of the 24 recipients during the Trump years, and he might be the only president who never awarded it to a scientist or an intellectual. I see all sports and business people. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, he doesn't know any. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. It would be like us trying to give it to somebody who's famous for cars. <laughs> yeah, my reference point was Ford versus Ferrari, which I only watched because the two leads are handsome men. So It's, yeah, it's peak dad film, Ford versus Ferrari. We actually all watched that together. It was the last Oscar movie I needed to see that year. We, watched we it all watched it together? In did we really? We before did. the pandemic. Yeah, it was BC, before COVID. Okay, so that's why. Did we really? I oh. don't remember that. Honestly, guys. Um, I mean, I don't remember anything about the movie. I just remember telling somebody I was going to someone's house to watch Ford versus Ferrari, and they were like, why? And yeah. I was like, oh, it's the last Best Picture nominee that I need to see. But I was so happy for Christian Bale. He got to have his real accent for once. Right. That is nice. Yeah. Yeah. If you're looking to watch a movie about a car, I would much more full-throatedly recommend Rush. Um, yes. Uh, Ron great Howard film. joined. Great movie. Um, great film. The cars go vroom, vroom. Oh, that's things what we love. Things don't work out for Chris uh, Hemsworth, but it's fine. Oh, you He's had very handsome. <laughs> He's extremely handsome. I would watch him just stand there. Definitely he's like playing like this like swaggering, arrogant, cocky race car driver who thinks he's like untouchable, but he is. <laughs> I touch him. I do see there's going to be a Michael Mann movie that's coming out this year uh, with Adam Driver and Penelope Cruz about Enzo Ferrari. So get ready for I that. I mean, if it's you're just... going to fucking make a movie about somebody who drives, you got to get Adam Driver <laughs> and I... Penelope Cruz. Like cruise control? Okay, ah. that's good. That's ri- you're good. Right? Honestly, guys, the supplemental showdown is boring. This guy's boring, so let's just skip it. Okay, so I have a very exciting pick for who I think this person would be today, and it's so Ooh. out of left field, but I'm really thrilled about it. Brian, good, because I have first? no one. Okay. So I think this person would be Reese Witherspoon. Come on, Brian. Okay, so he started out... In cars, like that's what he did. He raced, and then when he was done doing that, 
he started working behind the scenes controlling racing teams. Sort of like how Reese Witherspoon started a lifestyle brand and now has a literary imprint at a production house. You don't want to be in a movie with Reese Witherspoon. You want to be in a movie produced by Reese Witherspoon in 2022. And that's why I think Mr. Vroom Vroom from (laughs) DuPont, or wherever the f*** he's from, is actually Reese Witherspoon in the automobile world. Thank you so much. I will take no questions. (laughs) Okay. I don't really have anything to say to that. I don't either. I think that's incredible. I think that wraps it up. Yeah. Wow, you give Brian a medal of the week and just watch him fly. Well, guys, this concludes Roger Penske and uh, his mostly decent. I, I think you may have found like the least bad person that Trump gave a medal to. No, no offense. He, you're probably Elvis. right. I'm going to see that I, movie, but I'm not going to say it on the problematic. Mic, but there was someone that I really wanted to do because it's a, a woman. She's an athlete. She's well, dead. The one. Dead. The one. But then I was Are you like, talking about the fe- golfer. Yeah. Oh, babe. Uh, and okay. I was like, I can't taking it like the three things I can't take away from Clay is like a golfer, a tennis person or like space. But here's well, the thing. The person that you're mentioning who I, I know we're, we all know who we're talking about here uh, also played other sports. So it's OK. So maybe, maybe next my time. next turn, we'll see if she's still available. Yeah. I mean, the way all it's right. going to shake out, I get Obama this time and you better believe I'm doing Billie Jean King. Sorry, Fair Clay. enough. <laughs> <laughs> Where are we? Like, we're at what? 18 months of no Medal of Freedom by Biden. Is that right? Are we close to the record here? Hold on. I'm looking at it. Uh, no. Trump's first one was 22 months into his term. So we have until October for okay. Biden to break the record. I, I think he'll do like, it over the summer. I was going to say, like, slow news summer. Now they can yeah, do he it wants, in person. He wants to be outside in the Rose Garden. Mm-hmm. It's gonna happen. He's already surpassed Bush Jr.'s picks. June yeah, 20th, 2002. Yeah. Well, guys, that does it for Roger Penske. When we get back, Brian is going to lead us through our medals of the week. So it has reached that time in the episode where for a few minutes we all get to be president of the United States and bestow mm. our medals of the week. Uh, sometimes they're they're earned over an entire life and sometimes all it takes is seven really good days. Clay, I think you're kicking us off. The conversation this weekend has, at least in the pop culture world, is on the release of Kendrick Lamar's new album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers. There is one track that everyone is spotlighting, which is called We Cry Together, which I've always been a big Kendrick Lamar fan and how he experiments. But who boy with this one, you kind of have to hear it to understand what I'm talking about. But it has to be one of the darkest things I've ever heard in my life. And the only thing that I could think is that he's invented a new way of performance in hip-hop. I think that there's a direct correlation to Hamilton and the way that they tried to put theater and hip-hop together. 
And Uh with this, it's portraying a toxic relationship between a man and a woman. And it's Kendrick Lamar and my Medal of the Week actress Taylor Page, who uh, you have probably seen her. She was the lead in the movie Zola and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. And it almost sounds like two people screaming at each other outside of a bar but somehow it's all rhymed and put together. And again, I don't think I've ever heard a track like this before. And the performance in it is absolutely incredible. And so I really wanted to spotlight her as an artist. She has been around for about five years now with the movies that I've mentioned. And I instantly recognize when there's someone that isn't necessarily uh, wanting to be on MTV Cribs and play the celebrity game, but someone who actually wants to do interesting things and actually play with genres and things like that. And I, even though that she's new to the scene, I recognize that in her because especially with her Instagram page of how she really does spotlight interesting works of art and wants to work with interesting people as well. And so I will give it to her. I thought that I would spotlight something that I saw on her page for Christine and Brian, which she does have a lot of interesting movie projects in the works. And one of them is a uh, kind of remake of the movie Big, where as opposed to uh, she plays the best friend of the lead in the film, of instead of someone uh, going to a magical uh, carnival and turning into a child, with this, it's a white woman that goes to a bachelorette party and goes to a sound therapy hot tub and uh, comes out looking like Diane Keaton. (laughs) And uh, this is Diane Keaton and Taylor (laughs) Page together. And I'm just very excited for this movie because uh, just to see uh, these two people who I think were probably very much, uh, they would lead the conversation of their culture at the time coming together to do this. I'm very excited for this. But anyway, my medal goes to. Yes, uh, my medal goes to Taylor Page. Uh, listen to the listen to the entire album, Mr. Morale and the Big Steppers, but uh, especially that track because you're just like, what the fuck is this? I've never heard anything like this before. I don't think it's an enjoyable song to listen to, but it is something brand new and very experimental and really pushing the genre further ahead. Uh, so yeah, credit to Taylor Page. Awesome. Thanks Great for pick. the Yeah, the new Also, I'd love to know there's a new Diane Keaton movie out there in the ether for me. Movie theaters are back, baby. <laughs> Please rise for our national anthem, the Nicole Kidman AMC commercial. <laughs> I do love a uh, playing around with a remake where instead of a straightforward, oh, he turns into a kid. Instead, it's I am at a bachelorette party. I go to a very white woman, step into a sound therapy hot tub and come out looking like Diane Keaton. No, I thought when you said it was like unlike big that it was going to be that movie that came out with, I think, Regina Hall, where she turns into the little girl from Blackish. And I think it's called Little. And, like, she has to go back to being a child to kind of remind herself that she's, like, lost sight of what's important in life. And I was like, oh, okay. But no, like, this is completely different. Also, if I was going to have an out-of-body experience, I would want to become Diane Keaton. Oh, wouldn't we all? (laughs) Yeah. So that I could denounce Woody Allen. 
And then I'd go back to being myself. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> Christine is next. Me, mine's pretty simple. I just couldn't let this opportunity pass to not give a shout out to Jen Psaki, who on Friday had her last press briefing at the White House um, in a role as the press secretary. I think like so many of us were ready in many ways, like when the Biden administration started for it to stop being this like humiliating, infuriating spectacle on a daily basis. A big part of that was the Kaylee McInerney press briefings, which were for me rage inducing, really like negatively impacted my life because I couldn't stop like watch like I knew it was gonna infuriate me, but I had to watch it anyway. I mean they were a piece of performance art. Her cross got bigger every day. <laughs> to the point where like she was just wearing like a flavor flav clock, <laughs> but it was a cross with Jesus weeping. Also, on her it. I know we're not like body shaming on this podcast, but her pageant makeup got thicker and thicker every day as well. A little straight up Fox News, yes. Yeah. Also Which, you know that you've made an impact in the culture if you cause us to completely uh, disregard mentioning Sean Spicer's as well i know like he was he's just an afterthought now because she just like stomped around for what was it two years who even knows mm. remember the six hours we had scaramucci that was no it's a isn't it 11 days <laughs> is a scaramucci it's a it's a measurement no, but of time now to me like in the time moved differently in that era it was six hours oh it sure did yeah it's anyway. it's like interstellar. Like I was, you know, in space. So <laughs> you're pounding and on like, the bookshelf, <laughs> right? When we returned to the ship, we've all aged fifteen years. And Anne Hathaway is crying about love. Yes. Back to Jen Psaki, who is shares zero qualities with Kaylee McEnany. I just remember her first. I, I didn't actually watch her press briefings on a regular basis because they were so like normal usually relatively boring, but I watched the first one and I was like, oh, she's a person. And she just looks like a person who like, this is part of her day and this is what she does. And then she goes into the back into her office and like works. Not that like this thing is the entire point of her job to like have her big TV viral moment. That said, she did have some viral moments. Most often when she was going head to head with, um, Peter Ducey, Peter Ducey, the deuce as some call him, I guess. And yeah, she would regularly like roast him, but like nicely, you know, no one's ever going to fucking destroy that man like that again. And it's such a shame. (laughs) But do you know what (laughs) the, the new press secretary is from Queens. So I don't know if you know that. I love that for her. Mm -hmm. I knew I recognized her, (laughs) (laughs) but even Ducey, he, he, they posed for a picture together and he was like, end of an era, like best of luck to Jen Psaki. So like, even when she's like, filleting you on live television she still does it with so much class that like you can't help but wish her well when she leaves so i think she already has her next gig lined up and it's just something journalism adjacent so all the best to you i'll miss your red hair and your calm but stern roasting of inept journalists jen saki gets my medal of the week white house press secretary is a thankless job And there definitely is the cops and firefighters will involved in that, in that if you are not in the story, that means you're doing your job because you're actually spotlighting the right things. And yes, I think that Jen Psaki deserves a lot of credit for bringing a element of normalcy back to the White House after a complete shit show four years there. So yes, I agree. Solid pick. We'll miss you, Jen. Take us home, Brian. So... uh... You know, as Clay said at the top of the show, this has been a dark week. And when you see something that just makes you feel good on the internet, you have to celebrate it. 
And that's why this week, my medal goes to one, the only, the two-time Tony winning, Patty Lapone. Um, for those of you who don't live in New York or just aren't into theater, Patty is currently starring in a gender-swapped revival of Stephen Sondheim's Company, uh, which I saw in March before my 35th birthday because it is a show about turning 35. And I guess because it's Tony season and, you know, the uh, the voters are out, Patty and the cast did a post-performance talk back with select audience members. And for those of you who are unfamiliar with Patty and her work, she does not skip an opportunity to call out an audience member. If she sees you on your cell phone, she's going to call you out. If she hears your cell phone, she's going to scream at you. If you try to take a video of her performing, she will, while in character, pull your phone out of your hand and throw it across the stage because it just fits the character. And sorry to, to interrupt, but just to tie this all together, Taylor Page's husband was in the news because of this, because he was filmed in a nude scene on Broadway, Jesse Williams. <gasps> wow. I mean, really, like uh, highs and lows this week for uh, people using their uh, cell phones in yeah. theaters. But somebody at the talkback uh, took their phone out and recorded a moment where Patty noticed that there was someone in the audience who did not have their mask on properly. And she said, put your mask on over your nose. That is the rule. That's why you are in the theater. That is the rule. If you don't want to follow the rule, get the f*** out. Thunderous, thunderous applause. People are going crazy. Because you've had your mask on for about three hours at that point, uh, I'm assuming, with the two-and-a-half-hour runtime of company, and then you're at the talkback. And if I have my mask on, I want everyone else to have their mask on. Once the applause died down, Patty continued, I'm serious, who do you think you are if you do not respect the people that are sitting around you? So this person on just a different operating plane, because instead of turning to sand, which is the only like <laughs> response that is natural when Patty Lapone is yelling at you in a Broadway theater, she said, I pay your salary. <gasps> and Patty Lapone responded to her by saying, you pay my salary? Bullshit. Chris Harper pays my salary, referring to the producer of Company. Who do you think you are? Just put your mask over your nose. And I have to say, like, I, I, there are a lot of times where I've been in a situation where I've had to, like, buy a mask or ask for one. Because there are still places, even in New York City, where you have to wear a mask, like, on the subway. And while I welcome the idea that there will come a time where you will be able to go see a Broadway show without a mask on. I respect that these people are in these arenas or in these theaters performing together consistently. And that right now they need this extra level of protection where the audience is wearing masks and it's not that big of an ask. And if it is, if you do not want to wear a mask or you don't feel comfortable wearing a mask or you have a medical reason air quotation marks for not wearing a mask then just don't go to the theater stay home you can stream company online but don't 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 do this and most certainly do not upset patty lapone and you're in her house you're trying to talk back to her in a broadway theater anytime <laughs> you're between 39th street and 50th street you are in patty lapone's house <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't live there but like she just owns the space she has air rights well, it's like how God is in every church. Like, she's in every theater. 
It's just different because God doesn't exist and Patty Lapone does exist. <laughs> I've seen it with my own eyes. God has zero Tonys. <laughs> Patty right. Lapone has two. Yeah. Has several. Yes. He's not even credited for writing his most famous work, the Bible, the best-selling book of all time. <laughs> I know. He outsourced. I thought that, that. was Tuesdays with Maury. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Another unhinged episode, guys. I'm really proud of us. Me too. You can really tell the the news is starting to get to us. <laughs> and or like Sunday evening starvation energy is. Maybe. I feel like when the Supreme Court ruling comes out, the podcast will just be us baning at the moon for 51 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> I do enjoy it, listeners, when we start the episode and we all appear on camera, we kind of small talk for at least a couple of minutes and all that. And this time, just Christine appeared and was like, all right, let's get it going. I'm hungry. (laughs) My fault. I didn't plan correctly and eat before, but, you know, we all make mistakes. What's for dinner tonight, Christine? Let us know. I mean, I think it's going to be pasta at this point. I have to do something quick, right? Okay. I'll text you guys later, okay? All right. All right. Cool. I like it. See you next week. Follow us at Limbaugh Podcast. And next week, back to the JFK years. Ooh, retro. There'll never be another Camelot. Time machine. (laughs) Bye. Goodbye. Presidential